You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. This is our last parable here tonight. Um, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I'm excited to talk about it with you because I think it's got this real, like, foundational kind of um, instruction, even for us from Jesus, some some real um, direction. And it fall in the gospel. It falls in the gospel of Luke, right between the parable of the persistent widow that we talked about, where Jesus is is telling us not to give up, to have faith in God's provision and God's power and, and to not give up on asking for what we need. And then um, it, it, right after this parable we're gonna talk about tonight is um, when Jesus says, let the little children come to me and don't prevent them. And so I think, I think there's this theme running through this chapter of Luke where um, Jesus is saying that the kingdom belongs to those who know that they need it. Um, to, and, and, and probably more than that, I think it's saying God really cares. It, 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 it's tell, Jesus is telling us who God is, that God is one who cares about his children, especially the needy especially the ones who are, who are humbly looking to God for rescue. Hey, guys. Hey, David. Welcome. Come on in. These are Mabel's brothers. Um, let's, Rory, we have, we have the parable written down here. Um, thank you. Does anybody want to read that out loud for us? I'll pass the mic. But I'm hoping it's big enough that everybody can read it. Thanks, Robert. To some, I'm going to back up. (laughs) To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I give. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and to those who humbled themselves will be exalted. So, um, we've got these two guys in this story. And and I think, um, you know, and one, they're, they're both praying. Here's the scene. They're both praying in the temple. I think that Pharisee's probably like, like coming to the front, he might be, he's feeling real good about himself, he might even be praying out loud, kind of publicly (laughs) shaming people that he thinks are beneath him. Um, And the tax collector might be like standing in the back, trying to be kind of invisible, and 
He's just got his head down and he's asking God for mercy. And Jesus says, that's the, the one who is asking for mercy is um, actually justified before God. And I, I think this story probably sounds pretty reasonable to us today, right? I mean, this makes sense to us. But I think, or I want to propose to you that um, when Jesus told this story, it, it, it was probably very uncomfortable to hear because he was talking to the religious elite who were kind of at the top of the Jewish, um, you know, echelon, social echelon. And it, it might even be, been, have been shocking to hear but Jesus was saying it anyway. Um, so I want to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jesus is often saying something surprising. So um, I want to give you a little more context uh, uh, about the story and the, and the characters in this context to help us kind of get into that space where we can hear it like, like as Jesus was telling it telling it. You probably know that Jesus's people, the Jewish, the Jewish people were like this small kind of strange group of people under the authority of the Roman Empire. So they paid a lot of taxes to Rome. Um, the Romans were generally pretty oppressive. And the only people with power, real power in that context, were the religious elite. And, and they, uh, the Sadducees uh, and, and often the Pharisees partnered with, with Rome in kind of governing their own people. The Romans kind of used the Jewish religious elite to, to control the people. Because for the Jews, the temple, the religious law was like the center of their power. And, and the Romans could, could see that right away. So let's think about the center of power in this culture, um, in the Jewish culture, under you know the Roman authority. It was based on the Torah. The, they used the Old Testament of the Bible, that um, pretty much that we use now, um, and where God's commandments were given to like the the early mothers and fathers of the faith, and life was really prescribed around worshiping God and honoring God. Largely, largely at the temple, but really in all aspects of their lives. Like they had all these rules about purity, like like how to how to cleanse themselves, uh, what to eat, um, what to do with their money, and um, this whole system that they had in place. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. Um, was supposed to bring justice. It was supposed to look out for the poor and the needy. Like, like they had sabbatical years um, where the land could rest, and they had jubilee years where everybody's debt was paid. And so, so this system of law that they got from God was really supposed to create kind of a, a, a holistic, um, healthy people. You know, healthy in relationship to each other and to God. The, the problem was, according to what I 
understand in the Gospels and and how in how Jesus talks to the Pharisees is that the system became corrupt, as systems often do. Um, there was this elite class of religious rulers that had a lot more wealth than the, than the majority of people um, who were like barely surviving all these tithes and offerings that they had to bring to the temple to be in right standing with God. So, they, so the people... Um, that all the normal people, the regular people Jesus was talking to, they didn't just have to pay taxes to Rome. They had to pay all these taxes to the temple in order to like, you know, be like accepted by God according to, you know, what they understood, how they understood God's favor to be. And scholars think that the tax collector, the tax collector in this story was really a toll collector, Tax collectors were kind of sanctioned by the Roman government, but toll collectors um, were, were hated even more because they arbitrarily, they had, they had less social standing and they kind of arbitrarily, um, they bought like debt contracts and they, they to the temple and they, they took money from their own people to survive, um, kind of arbitrarily to keep this whole temple system going. And so poor folks really couldn't win. They were viewed as bad and sinful, like religious deviants, along with the toll collectors because they couldn't keep up with all these tithes and offerings um, in the religious law. And so the system had become corrupt. But the Pharisees still thought it was God's system. I, I think they always get a bad rap, and I, I don't mean to talk terribly about them because I think they were really like well-intentioned people, probably. They thought they were doing what God wanted um, by upholding these laws. But Jesus, I think Jesus saw that they were putting more faith in the system. They were putting all their faith, they were kind of worshiping the system. They were putting all their faith in the system more than they were relating to the living God that was right in front of them. That's Avi. Um, and I think it's easy. I think that is easy to do. It's easy to put, I mean, as, as broken and corrupt as systems are, it's easy to kind of live our lives where we're just kind of putting faith um, to serving the system. Like, especially when it's a decent system or it's the only one we have. Um, it's easy to kind of just like do that work and then think our job is done. I was thinking of myself, I was guilty of this early on in social work. Um, I had this wonderful job in the HIV AIDS community and um, it was so, it was so good. I really got to be with people. Um, but then I'd come home to my neighborhood. This is when I first moved to Philly. I'd come home to my neighborhood and I'd, I'd make some good food and I'd kind of shut my door and like, um, you know, keep to myself. Like as if like that was the entirety of my vocation was just like doing my job at the office or something as if working within the system was my whole calling. 
And thankfully, that got old pretty quickly. It, it was not fulfilling. Um, as much as I loved my work, um, it wasn't fulfilling enough compared with God's plan for the healing and, and wholeness of the whole world and of me. I needed to know my neighbors. You know, I needed to be part of a church, a faith community. I wasn't meant to have a compartmentalized life and just kind of do my job. I was meant, and I think you are too, to be relating to the living God um, who has more for us and who can show us how we make something together based on the love and power of God that transcends what any system can do, as good as it might be. We're, we're meant to be a people who rise up in the fullness of our humanity together, getting free of the hierarchies and inequalities in systems, a people who see each other as God sees us worthy of love and care. And that is shockingly how Jesus sees this toll collector, even though he's probably nobody in the room wants to be around this guy. Um, again, he's probably trying to be invisible. He's shamed by the Pharisee. Um, I even think, you know, how many times has that happened? I was thinking just about, like, social media. Um, I think, unfortunately, it has happened in our church where people have, like, publicly condemned other people's sins. Um, I think Jesus is saying something about that here. Like, God, God's not really impressed with that not impressed with the Pharisee's righteousness because it's all, about, it's all about what the Pharisee can do to justify himself before God. Um, and, and, you know, what, what the Pharisee has in, in his own righteousness it came along through privilege, you know, uh, like the ability to know scripture and be educated. And, you know, it was even like a system you were like born into. You had to have enough money to pay all these tithes and offerings and enough free time to keep all the purity codes, washing your hands like 20 times a day or whatever it was. Um, the, the, the Pharisees were kind of a privileged class and Jesus was not impressed. I think it's cool that the, the toll collector doesn't defend himself in this moment. Um, but he does hang on to himself before God, um, which I think is the real, which really like meant the most to me in the story as I read it this week. He prays, um, he prays to God authentically, like recognizing and banking on God's mercy and power. And, and I, would, I would say even he, he appeals completely to God's grace as a beloved child. Like he, he's there in the room. He doesn't leave the room. He doesn't think he's such a piece of trash that he just has to go home and like um, give up, you know? 
And Jesus says, yes, this is the posture. This is the relationship God wants with us, directly relating to God. I'm not sure the Pharisee is even doing that with his little speech there, saying how great he is. I'm not sure he's even relating to God as much as he is like performing um, a duty that's gonna like keep him separated from these you know, sinful people. So I want you to notice the toll collector's resilient faith here. He's in the temple praying, even though he really has no religious right to be there. He can't even make the proper reparations that it would take um, in that system to be forgiven and accepted by God, like according to what they've been taught. And yet he's here appealing directly to God you know, not getting shamed out of that place by the religious authority. And so I think the story is about a higher authority than, than any prominent power. The power of the living God, the mercy and love of God's son who, who bridges the gap on our behalf. You know, Jesus was standing right in front of these people saying, I, I'm here you, I, I'm for you. Um, just talk to me. Ask, ask me for what you need. I want to give you this, um, this cool image that comes from India um, that I think is a beautiful picture of perseverance in, in directly relating to God, in trusting God and asking for what we need, no, no matter what any other authorities are telling us to do, religious or otherwise. Um, this is a living, this is a real thing, not just a picture. It's a living bridge made out of tree roots. And they make these in the foothills of the Himalayas, the wettest region of the world. And these, these bridges are both like intrinsically natural and humanly engineered. Um, and they take a long time to grow, but they are stronger than a concrete bridge. Um, they're made out of rubber fig trees, ficus elastica, and um, they start with one one tree on one side of the on one side of the river, and. Um, they wait like, they identify the tree and they wait like 10 to 15 years to, until the tree puts out the aerial roots that it puts out. Um, and then they, the people like coax some of the roots across to try and meet um, on this, they, they set up this like bamboo scaffolding and they keep coaxing the roots across and um, until they meet the roots on the other side and they actually start to grow together. Um, this process of fusion is called anast anastomosis. And once the tree has reached a certain level of maturity, it adds more roots to the network which the people weave into the bridge. Um, can you show us the next slide, Rory, please? Thank you. And so then once, 
once this tree has reached a certain level of maturity and it's fused with the other tree, it can, it can really hold a lot of people, as you can see on here. Um, and there's no, the person who wrote this article that I looked at on NPR, like, said there's no one way to build these bridges. They are, like, everyone kind of, everyone that he looked at kind of looks different, um, and it was, was made a slightly different way. Um, and some of them are centuries old. And... Um, in a place where concrete bridges are unlikely to survive, these bridges grow stronger, more robust, and re resilient with age. They do not require revenue to build, only time. And what's more, they don't just support the people who cross them. Last slide, Rory, thanks. They, they support this whole ecosystem of plants and animals that grow like in and around them. So I just think this is like, I know you're getting a lot of nature tonight here with our butterfly and tree roots. Um, I just think this is a beautiful picture of like a life independence on God, like Jesus was trying to say to these two people praying, um, about these two people praying, that a light, we're, we're being called to a life independence on God over systems of the world, religious or otherwise. And I think Jesus is making it really clear here that we're invited to come directly to God, however distance we may, distanced we may feel by the church, by other people, um, by other systems of the world. We're invited to come directly to God, like right now, and ask for what we need. And if we do that over and over throughout our lives, that kind of faithful, kind of trusting, reaching out to God, I think will become sturdy, sturdy bridges for others to cross to, that, that can hold one another. You know, even, even the bridges that are like centuries old, the, the reason they exist, the reason they're so strong is because they're still connected to that source of life. So it's not like we can ever, it's not like we ever kind of graduate from this process of relating to God. It's, a, it's an ongoing life. Faith is an ongoing life that we're called to. So I thought we could like take a little time in our, in our meeting here to just practice with one another, to practice prayer in this posture of humility that Jesus is recommending. Um, just five minutes or so, um, and then Mabel's gonna come and lead us in the communion meal. And I like to, one of my favorite um, writers of the faith, Henry Nouwen, he talks about, um, he talks about a lot about the life of faith as based on the communion meal when Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, he says we can think about ourselves as um, given and blessed and broken and then shared. So this little prayer exercise comes from that, um, from that idea. 
So I invite you to close your eyes and follow along. Or you, you can just reach out to God here in any way that you'd like. Now take a few deep breaths. Invite God's calm in your mind and body and spirit. Or recognizing that God is here. And asking God to lead us. And we don't need to rush. given. I thank God for taking me or claiming me, for calling me by name. If you're baptized, you might, you might spend some moments reflecting on the meaning of your baptism. Bring to mind whatever brings you to this moment of prayer with God. Consider how God has led your life to this point and that you're in God's hands whether we're always aware of it or not. How have I been claimed? How have you been claimed by God? Blessed. Recognizing how God has taken you and led you Thank God for some of the blessings in your life. Let the gratitude grow in your heart. See if you can recognize some of the unique talents and abilities and callings that God has given you. How have you been blessed by God? <laughs> We're blessed by that baby too. And then broken. Ask God to reveal to you some of the ways that you have felt opposite of blessed. When have you been broken? When have you experienced loss? Maybe there's a circumstance in your life, a condition that makes you feel broken. Maybe there's a way that you feel called to suffer for Christ. Talk to God about it. And finally, shared. Ask God to show you the ways that you're called to share love with others. Maybe even your brokenness gives you a better understanding of others' pain.
Maybe you've been strengthened for some special task. Ask Jesus about it. Ask how God is giving you to the world as Jesus gives himself to you. And tune into your desire to be shared. See if you can imagine concrete ways that you are a gift to others. Finally, resolve to give yourself to God and the world in in whatever way God revealed to you. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.